You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I think the default state was anxiety. I mean, it was just, you know, this is unprecedented. It's one thing to cancel a tour or miss dates or go home. or But the whole idea of you will make zero dollars this entire year. You may not make any money next year. Your career is done. Opiate overdoses are up 30%. Relapses are up about 30%. Yeah, across the board. I mean, normally connection is what helps us put depression, anxiety, addiction in remission. And the whole idea of, you know, most alcoholics naturally are good at isolating and here you are, you know, right back into your, which triggers all of your character defects. So yeah, my phone has been ringing off the hook. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lies, music, and craft beer. This is it. This is the final episode of Vox and Hops' Sober February. We have done a whole month where all of the episodes are focused on having a balanced relationship with alcohol. I have spoken to musicians who are now sober. I have spoken to craft beer breweries who have focused on making non-alcoholic brews. I've spoken to an amazing human who has a PhD and a master's in nutritional science who told us exactly why alcohol is bad for us. Now, after this whole month, I hope that you have taken the time to re-examine your relationship with alcohol. I know that this month really helped me look at my relationship with alcohol, and I know that moving on from now, I know that I'm going to have a different approach to it now. I love craft beer. You guys know this, but too much of any good thing is a bad thing. So let us all enjoy life, metal, and craft beer together for many, many, many more years to come by having a better relationship with alcohol. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to encourage you to subscribe to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, you should also rate it and write a review because when you do that, more people just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Also, you can now sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast newsletter by going to my website, voxandhops.com. That is V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, including all the details for any episode which I have dropped throughout that week. If I have been a guest on someone else's podcast, there will be the links to any upcoming live interview Thirsty Thursday virtual hangs, as well as the links to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is curated by my man, Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself. Do yourself a favor, join the party, sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast newsletter. Now, on today's episode, I'm with a very, very cool human, a perfect guest to wrap up Vox and Hops's sober february with get ready everyone this is vox and hops episode number 236 with dave sherman of the road to rehab i warn you what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed 
What's up, everybody? Today, I'm with Dave Sherman of The Road to Rehab. I am very, very stoked to be with you because uh, this is Vox and Hops's Sober February, and uh, you are an integral, integral part to many people's sobriety. Um, let's start with a brief introduction of yourself. Uh, who are you? Uh, what is the road to rehab? We're going to dig deep into it today. So, so just a short intro as to what that is. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. You know, I'm thrilled that we got connected. I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity to hopefully help some people. Um, yeah, Dave Sherman, uh, the road to rehab.com. I got sober in 99 from about 15, 16 years of alcohol and substance abuse. Um, and when I was about three and a half years sober, it was about 2002. After back in the music industry for a minute, I ended up as a, a clinician, a counselor, um, at four different treatment facilities, rehabs over about 10 years. And kind of at night and on the weekends, I was starting to get referrals from having that background in the music industry from, and this may shock you, musicians have been known to, on occasion, abuse drugs and alcohol. I know. Good thing you were sitting down. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I kind of slowly segued into becoming almost like a, a, an interventionist and a sober coach, but uh, on tour, sober companion. And in about 2012... I walked away from the field rehabs and I kind of did a private practice where now they're calling it telehealth, but back then I just called it Skype and FaceTime. Um, but I started seeing all my clients this way and, uh, and then it just kind of segued into, you know, three or four times a year for anywhere between three days and six, eight, ten weeks. I'll be out on tour on the road with a band. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you were so very avant-garde because now everyone does everything yeah, this way. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just a man ahead of my time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's talk about you. Uh, let's talk about your early relationship. You mentioned you've been sober since 99. Uh, Vox and Hops always like to go back to that very first beer. Do you remember the first beer you ever had, Dave? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you'll hear this all the time amongst people in recovery in that I don't, I was probably 13-ish. And I was going out of my skin. I was just a very uncomfortable, awkward child. I was very anxious all the time. I was depressed. I had a lot of unhealthy dialogue going on in my head. And I don't remember my first Coke or my first cup of coffee, but my first big shot of vodka, I remember, you know, it was me and a kid my age. And, you know, we, we bought a cheap bottle of vodka. We should have spent the extra couple of bucks and gotten the glass bottle, you know, like really gone classy, you know. <laughs> But I remember in very rapid succession, like as I brought it to my lips, I remember thinking this smells disgusting and then this tastes disgusting. And then what I called the van load of eight year olds inside my head suddenly became a gospel choir. And it was, I mean, it was just for me, it was like a light switch. You know, there are some people that progress into alcoholism, but I was just full blown. That night is almost a complete blackout, you know, just shot after shot. Like if one shot makes me feel this good, then two shots will make me feel twice as good. That's like the alcoholic math. One one is too much, and, and two is never enough, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. You know, it's just, uh, you know, and he and I, it turns out he had a drinking problem, too. We just, you know, finished wow. off the bottle between the two of us, a couple of 13-year-olds. Like, this is the best thing ever. Crazy, crazy. Uh, let's talk about your, your musician side or in the music industry. T tell me about how you, you worked with the music industry before you got into all this. Well, I, I you know, in college, I was, I was singing in a band in uh, probably 1991, which was just, I wasn't very good, but it was a really good way to get girls turns out I wasn't the first person to think that. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, a lot of jobs, you know, in my 20s, like I did some promotions, did some open mic nights. Um, and then after I got sober, I ended up managing some bands and some solo artists. I ended up back at a label. I was doing um, the video commissioner at a pretty big record label. And then I was managing the recording studios. Um, yeah. And then just managing some baby bands out of Philly, got them signed to some indie deals, but nothing ever came of it. 
Um, and the counseling thing happened. And it was one of those where I love helping people get better and I love following, you know, being surrounded by creative types and just the whole idea of having a career that kind of combines both of those. Like if I had planned that one, right. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you just life gives you the path that you need to walk. Totally. <laughs> and you had to walk down both those roads to be on this road now, which is amazing. Well, like when people say they hate their job, I'm like, oh, well, sorry. <laughs> it sucks to be you, dude. Yeah, totally. I'm going to get on tour with the band. I'll see you in six weeks. Yeah. It's insane that, you know, you became that guy that bands would just hit up. Yeah. Because they must have had that relationship with you. You were probably very open about being sober and your, your struggles and, and being that guy that you could be turned to, to open up to and, and to have a listening ear. Well, I, you know, definitely a lot of the musicians I knew early on knew my background, but then Mike Shea from Alternative Press actually said, why don't you do some columns for the magazine? And the first one was just, he said, he gave me the topic. He said, why do artists abuse drugs and alcohol? So I did 1,100, 1,200 words. And, um, you know, they put it up on a Saturday and I kind of outed myself in the first paragraph, just this is who I am, my deal, and this is what I do. And like Tuesday, they hit me back and said, can you do more of these? Because they had gotten something like 10,000 page views in like three days. Like it just wow. it touched a nerve, you know, it just, it was perfect timing, I guess. And that's just kind of, well, now everybody knows I'm sober. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. <laughs> but the, you know, artists, it's, it's me having lived it. You know, you're out there, you step into that venue, you perform. Uh, the people that are coming to the show, it's a special night for them. They sure. want to party with you. Sure. They want you to be that guy yeah. that's that's going to give them, rock their socks off, and then party until they drop. And, and that's what's expected of, of a musician. Why is that? Well, I think that why we love music is that visceral experience. You know, it's, it's for me, it was always transcendence. You know, it, I forget the bills, and I forget the, the family issues and the depression and anxiety. And there's just, you know, I was that 15-year-old kid in the front row. And that artist was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And, you know, their lyrics were changing my life and kept me from killing myself. So the idea of can we make this more intense, you know, just doing a shot with that person was just, you know, or smoking a joint behind the venue with them. I mean, that's just, you tell your friends about those stories. I mean, I remember, you know, being at shows and I'm a certain age where like Jane's Addiction in like 1990, you know, at a small venue or seeing Jeff Buckley at a small venue. These are stories that I'm still telling. I saw the Smashing Pumpkins in a bar. Insane. You know, with a hole opening up. And it's, you know, I'm still telling those stories 30 years later. You know, they just blew a hole through the building. You know, it was like, so I get it. Like, I totally get it from both sides. Like, you know, when these kids come up to me talking about, you know, this guy, or you know, there's a picture of me with him versus, you know, like, and these are the guys that are calling me at midnight on Saturday. I'm going, dude, could you just call me tomorrow? Like, I'm trying to go to bed. Like, you know, like, I know you're on the cover of the magazine. But, so it's very through the looking glass. <laughs> let's talk about once you did start to do your own private practice the road to rehab yeah. uh, what steps did you have to take to get out there how easy was it for you to to get clients it, it, I imagine it's a lot of word of mouth that was working out there. yeah totally I, you know one of the things I've never done is market you know once a year I'll, I'll post my website on one of the social medias and that's that's the entirety of my marketing uh, the alternative press really helped a lot it got the word out there um, and I've actually been on a whole bunch of podcasts. Um, Jeff Rickley from The Man Thursday had me on his, which got a decent amount of traction. And visual artists, I ended up in a bunch of, of um, uh, circles of people. I collect art and, and some of these darker artists. This guy named Chet Czar, I don't know if you're familiar. He did. Um, he worked with Tool early on a lot, and he did a lot of movies. He and Adam Jones were. Very cool. And he directed a lot of the early videos. He worked with Adam. And he's had me on his podcast a couple times. So just, yeah, word of mouth. It just kind of gets out there. 
Turns out there aren't that many guys that have the background that I do, so people tend to remember the name. Yeah, and you, but you provide something very unique, which is uh, I'd like to shine some light on that to take me down exactly what the road to rehab provides for a musician. Well, I, I do. Um, a, I'm sober, and I'm sober a decent amount of time. In February 5th, I'll have 22 years, um, which is a chunk of time. Um, Congrats. Thank you. So far, so good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've studied, you know, the disease model concept of addiction, which I believe in an alcoholism. Um, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of years working in facilities, so I have a kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy background. Um, and I worked inpatient, outpatient, residential. Uh, you know, I've done interventions. So there aren't that many aspects of the field that I haven't had first person experience with. And I think that probably comes across in when I meet people, there's something about connecting with another person that has alcoholism or addiction. It's very easy to, to develop rapport pretty quickly. Absolutely. And, and then how often is it the person that's coming and contacting themselves versus management versus family members versus band members? All across the board. I'd say evenly split. Um, and you know, like we, the guy that introduced us, he's an agent. Um, and he and I have joked many times, he's got two kinds of artists, you know, he's got artists that have been my client and artists that will be my client. You know I mean? It's just, and, and it's not necessarily just alcoholism or addiction because once you stop using and you know, the 11 years I spent in the field, um, it's, it's the underlying stuff, the causes and conditions, the anxiety, the depression, the, the relationship issues, the trauma and, and over those, you know, working with 10, 12, 15 clients a day for 11, 12 years and eight in private practice, there's very little I haven't seen at this point, you know, and I've helped people a little bit of everything. So, or a lot of everything. Um, so even I've got plenty of musicians that aren't necessarily an addict or an alcoholic, but we can still help them with, you know, whatever they're dealing with right now. You know, that fear of success, the fear of failure, you know, the being away from the relationship at home for 10 months a year, they're trying to make the family work, you know, all that stuff. Why does my bandmate keep doing this thing? Right. Totally. <laughs> and, and if I punch him, is that an appropriate coping skill? Depends if he likes it, right? <laughs> well, right. Yeah, right. Uh, depends which state you're in, I think. Yeah. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Uh, what are you drinking there on your side, Dave, today? I have got, it's a, a sprout farm is some kind of organic. This is actually a good pandemic story. I don't know. It's a lime seltzer. I'm not a lime seltzer guy, but right when everything went down, which would have been, I guess, probably April when everybody started panicking about, you probably shouldn't leave the house. And I walked out my front door and there were eight bags of groceries on my front porch. And I'm right. And I was like, okay, either somebody loves me or Instacart has fucked up. It's like, it's probably not a, it's more <laughs> likely. So I call Scott Farms is this, is this, you know, it's like a whole foods upscale kind of market. And they say it's Instacart, give them a call. And I got one of those where um, the whole time is one hour and 45 minutes. And I was like, I am a good person. I'm going to wait and I'm going to make sure the person whose groceries these are, because, you know, it's a pandemic. So I wait an hour and 45 minutes and the woman gets on the phone and she says, here's the thing, Dave. We're doing 10 times a day what we used to do in a week. Everybody's getting, there's no way we have any idea whose groceries those are. So enjoy your groceries. Wow. So it was like two pounds of salmon and like pork chops and like cases of like, you know, sparkling limes. It's all like, all right, you do what you got to do. So I see it as the universe is just, you know, bestowing bounty upon me. That's, that's one positive thing I've come right? <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Yeah, how are you guys doing up there? Oh, it's crazy up here in Canada and Montreal right now. We're in a lockdown. We have a curfew. Yeah. It's, it's fun. But uh, yeah. 
We're doing okay. I'm hanging out with my family, so I'm okay. On my side, this is from Hoplark. This is their hop tea. This is a sparkling water, which has uh, been brewed with some tea, chamomile in this one, and uh, some hops, which is citrus. So it's completely non-alcoholic. It has no sugar, no calories. I love it. And uh, it's got the chamomile, so there's no caffeine, tea in it, and it's a great nighttime substitution for a beer. It feels like a beer, but it's not a beer, and I like that. Nice. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Let's talk about 2020. Let's see. Do you feel like your your clients had you know they're not, obviously not on tour so so life is completely different for them would, would that be an option for them to have more triggers to to fall back into the their negative tendencies that's a great question i think the default state was anxiety i mean it was just you know this is unprecedented it's one thing to cancel a tour or miss dates or go home or but the whole idea of you will make zero dollars this entire year you may not make any money next year your career is done um, you know, and I was, I had a whole bunch of touring lined up in the spring with a band. Um, so like, I get it. And, and opiate overdoses are up 30%, relapses wow. are up about 30%. Yeah. Across the board. I mean, normally connection is what helps us put depression, anxiety, addiction in remission. And the whole idea of, you know, most alcoholics naturally are good at isolating. And here you are, you know, right back into your, which triggers all of your character defects. So yeah, my phone has been ringing off the hook. Needless to say, yeah, I actually started doing when CAA, so this would have been about August, made the announcement they were going to lay off another third of their staff and everybody had an additional round of panicking was when I, I got on BobNet. I don't know. It's like a music industry forum in the U.S. Um, touring professionals. And I said, we're doing a pro bono group once a week for, you know, just general mental health, anxiety, depression on Zoom. We did that once a week. I just stopped about a week, two weeks ago. It went there for about five months, you know, we'd get six, That's eight, amazing. ten, twelve people a week. Yeah, just because people needed it. And it was really helpful. You know, it's 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 a rough year, man. You know, I keep telling people this isn't about, um, you know, career advancement or getting married or having a kid. Just survive. Just don't worry about you. Just fucking survive this year. Yeah, and hopefully you channel those those negative demons into, into creativity, Yeah, which is hard, but... but you got to push yourself sometimes. Well, you know, I, we both know a lot of artists that can turn negative stuff into something beautiful. Um, and it's, it's just universal. I mean, everybody's gone through this. It's the whole world is in the same boat right now. So there's no reason not to tap into some of that and write some songs. Absolutely. The more people I've been talking to, I'm, I'm hoping that's exactly what they're doing. Um, let, let's see. Let's see. But with, with 
when you go out on tour, what exactly happens there? You, you hang out with a specific artist. What is the, the band must automatically know that this is happening? <laughs> Not always. There goes the junk bunk because yeah. now it's Dave's bunk. Right. <laughs> and I know that that is a big argument sometimes on a tour bus. So, Well, usually by the time I get the call, the behavior has been negative for a period of time. So usually it's like, oh, Dave's here. <laughs> we'll give up the junk bunk. We're thrilled. We'll, you know, like, yeah, usually it's, it's a lot of relief. And usually, depending on the size of the band, um, most people will know who I am or have some kind of idea of the role I fill. And usually by day three or four or five, other people are going, so um, if I got a girlfriend at home and I'm like, yeah, 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 what's, what's this? You know, and everybody's got other things they need to talk about, but it never occurred to them to do that. There have been tours where like on the, the bigger ones, you know, with the five buses and the six semis, that like on day one, everybody will do an introduction. They'll be like, and here's Dave, the wellness coach. And I'll go, I don't even know what that means because nobody <laughs> told me I was the wellness. You know, and I'm with, you know, the, the front man and I'm just part of the entourage. And it's like, yeah. it's not my story to tell. So mm-hmm. when he's comfortable, usually by about week three, people go, so uh, you drink a lot of coffee and you guys disappear every day for an hour and they can start putting it together. Mm. And he's not acting insane. So I bet, you know, <laughs> it's one of those deals. So everyone loves you. And, and eventually, <laughs> eventually, except for the the person's ex party people, right, right, totally, yeah. Or if they relapse, yeah, because I've had one of the things that happens if somebody's gearing up to go back out, all the old behavior starts presenting itself: the ego, the the craziness, the anger, um, and they're the only one that doesn't see it. But if there's one person you do not want close to you when you're about to start using it, again, it would be me. So usually they need to kind of ratchet up. You know, the accusations of, you know, like weirdness, you know, and I've had a couple. And and then you suddenly say to yourself, okay, he's pissed off at me. I'm not sure why, but he's got 1.2 million Twitter followers. Is he about to post? You know, it's one of those where you just get paranoid (laughs) for a couple days. But do you stick around in situations like that, even if they don't want you there anymore? Well, I've never actually, it's never gotten to that point. You know, I've gotten like towards the tail end of a tour, the guy would get a little grumpy, but hadn't started using yet. And it was like, I think I know what's going to happen. And usually a week or two after the tour, I stop hearing from them. And that means they're usually back out again. Um, you know, I've mm. never had a problem on a tour. And how often uh, do you, is there relapses and then you come back again? And there's a lot of shame involved with that, of course. It can be, sure. Guilt, shame, remorse, the whole bit, yeah. And then you're just there for them like a rock. Try to be, sure, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the long and the short of it, yeah. Is that hard for you to, to, to put work in and then see it? go away but i guess every person's different right well i think it's more than likely for any guitar player it's like a callus you know it's like i've been doing this for a while um Mm -hmm. you know the first Mm -hmm. five six eight ten years when i was working in rehabs i would definitely lose sleep on the weekends worried about my clients um you know and 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 they're you know some you really that i've known for years you know i've been working with for years and years and years and we've developed really good rapport so yeah if they were to go back at it definitely be gutted but you know it's it's not like it used to be like it happens, you know, I've seen enough people relapse over 21 years that par for the course. I think that now in the modern age, more people are talking about it, are exposed uh, mm. to the addiction and knowing that it is a disease yeah. uh, versus, you know, the 70s, 80s when, when you know, yeah. being that guy was cool. Oh, yeah. he's just passed out again. Well, that's, that's the industry is, you know, when you look at what now is cancel culture, you know, that was just. That was literally encouraged for decades and decades and decades. And all of a sudden, we're at a place in 2019 and 20 where, you know, the reason people got in bands, you know, for the debauchery and the pirate ship, it's like, yeah, no, that gets you thrown off doors. 
So it's a really interesting time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see where, yeah. where, where all of this is going to take us to be a more professional. Well, I mean, like if the Allman Brothers had had Instagram, you know, like how ugly would that have been, you know? <laughs> or, or Motley Crue, you know? Or Motley Crue, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody posts how much fun they're having on Friday night. Nobody posts, you know, waking up in a puddle of their own vomit and you're on Saturday morning. You know, you don't see that Instagram. <laughs> Yeah. When you do come in on a tour bus, uh, the, the band is so happy that you're there. Do they have to change their party habits? Depends on the band. Like I've been out, there was a guy who, <clears throat> excuse me, he was the singer. And he basically said, they were all hired guns. He said, it's a dry tour. And they all went, okay. You know, they, they loved the gig. So yeah, they were going to do it. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, I've been on tours where other people are still doing their thing and they may or may not have a problem. And I've been on tours where like the singer is sober and I'm with him and the bass player is face down in the gutter going, ah, how sucks if you guys are going, okay, just make sure my number's in your phone, dude. Cause you know, you're going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens, you know, there's definitely people at varying levels of progression of where they are in terms of, you know, either getting drunk or getting sober. Hmm. Have you seen people or know people in the industry that you wished did call you? You can't tell me their names obviously, but, but, Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's definitely the back of my head, you know, because I, you, you go out on a tour, whether it's the Warp Tour, where there's 60 bands, you know, and it's just like, a, uh, he's going to be calling me about eight months, that guy a year and a half, you know, it's like that, that how cooked are they like a steak, you know, that guy's well done. He's going to need to call me about three weeks at the most. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the, the worst addictions to kick? Well, ultimately, it's all the same. Um, I think that... You know, as scary as crack and heroin are, alcohol kills more people every year, you know, and, and some of that is it's legal, it's socially acceptable, you know, and, and cigarettes are killing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people a year. And you can just go to, you know, any, any, you know, you can't go to the, the corner store and get heroin, which is probably a good thing. Um, you know, it, it, it just really depends on how bad you want to kick it. You know, chemically speaking, none of them are any harder than any others. The availability and the cheapness. I mean, with weed, you could smoke a lot of weed all day long and never worry about, you know, spending the rent money. Mm. But it does well, stunt your emotional maturity. Why is alcohol such a killer, but yet still so accepted? Because it makes you feel good. You know, I mean, if alcohol affected me the same way juice does, you know, I, you know, I mean, and it's funny because you can go to a barbecue and you can have six or eight or ten beers and nobody bats an eye. But if I had nine orange juices at a barbecue, you'd be like, what is wrong with that dude? You know, like, <laughs> that true. would be really strange, right? <laughs> guy's got a gallon of orange juice. That's fucking weird, man. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's, it's socially acceptable. It's legal. You know, how much of that is the lobbying organization? You know, all of it. You know, those are very powerful organizations. And tobacco is the same way. Yeah, I'm hoping that the whole advertising of it gets gets ramped down until there's just about nothing out there for you know for well you know because you don't you don't ever see the commercials where it's like the guys on the beach with the girls in the bikinis and they're like what's the secret meth you know like you don't <laughs> there's like the big you know lobbying organization buying heroin you know but it'd be doing the same thing Coors Light that's how you get the girl in the bikini the opioid plague that's happening across America and the world right now is is very very frightening can you shed a word on that please well you know it's it's chemically speaking it's getting easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper to produce deadlier and deadlier products and the thing about opiates is it's usually the progression you've worked your way through drinking and, and you know maybe some cocaine and ecstasy and you get to the point where you know alcoholism and addiction are a progressive disease it gets worse over time and you need more and more to get that same level of numbness 
So inevitably, a lot of people and, and the availability of, from Oxycontin, which, as we all know, this, was, this family was pushing this non-addictive opiate, which is ridiculous. Um, and then to fentanyl, and then we've got carfentanil. I mean, these are incredibly deadly substances that uh, are really easy to get. I mean, it used to be you had to go to really bad neighborhoods to cop opiates, and these days you can just go to the pharmacy. That's scary. Totally. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys also do uh, follow up and step downs after tour. Talk me through that. Sure. What, what, what does that do? Well, like most of my clients, 90% of it is me talking to people over, over the web. So we just pick that right back up. Um, but shifting gears is hard for anybody, let alone if you're an addict or an alcoholic. And being on the road for six or eight or 10 weeks or 12 weeks, you get into that rhythm. And it's the thing about touring is, it, it parallels addiction and alcoholism. You could be a perfectly normal person and you go on tour for eight or 10 or 12 weeks and then a break and then back out for nine or 10 months a year. You're not developing the coping skills that a normal person would. You don't have those emotional anchors to the bank teller and, and the guy at the grocery store and, and, you know, your neighbors and, you know, you're just in and out and in and out and there's no emotional roots. So anybody that's out on the road nine, 10 months a year is, is a little stunted emotionally and could really use some help with those shifting of gears. So depending on the artist, you know, I'll go stay in their hometown in a hotel for three or four days or a week and we'll exercise every day. We'll take a yoga class. We'll maybe hit some support groups, you know, just to get them back into that rhythm of being at home and coming back down. Cause it's, you know, like getting shot out of a cannon. It's crazy. It is. You're used to people bring the food and people bring the coffee and you know where you're supposed to be. And you know, and then all of a sudden you're home. You're like, I got to make my own coffee. Where's security? What is this? <laughs> Every day is dictated when you're on tour, you know, totally. Every minute is planned. So yeah. you know where you have to be or where yeah. you don't want to be, but you still go. Right. Whereas at home. And I used to, when I would get off tour the first, you know, year or so, I would kind of crash and get a little depressed and hit the wall and just, it would take get sick for about a week or 10 days because I just really wasn't taking care of myself enough to, you know, figure out a way to transition. And, you know, it took me a couple, three tours to realize that all the stuff I'm telling all my clients, I need to do the same thing. And, um, you know, if I took half my advice, I'd be healthy, right? And as with most people. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I, you sleep a little late, you take a couple of showers or three showers. And then for me, um, you know, I have a pretty decent sized backyard. I'd immediately mow the lawn, you know, cause you get so full of yourself out on the road and the crowd and the adrenaline and that's true. And who's bringing me coffee. And then like, I, I get my hands in the garden, you know, I've got like, or I, I build something, I have a table saw and, you know, I make furniture. It's like, I need to just pull myself back down a little bit of humility, a little bit back down to earth and get grounded. And before you know it, I feel perfectly fine again. And I don't have that crash coming off the tour. Hmm. See, that's very, very wise. It's hard. It's hard. Luckily, I come home and I got my kids jumping on me and, and that, that, you know, immediately I'm obviously not the center of attention anymore. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's like, oh yeah, my kid wants a, a smoothie. I'm going to make him a smoothie. That's important. You know, like that priorities, dude. Totally. <laughs> Nothing more important than your kid needing a smoothie. Uh, with, with the whole pandemic and it's not finished yet and it's still continuing that must be scary for anyone that's trying to organize tours the anxiety behind all that uh what would be some advice for some people that are struggling what would you say to them yeah i think that whenever i project into the future i get anxious and whenever i focus on the past i get angry about decisions i should have made so and and i i give so much credit for agents right now that are trying to book shows like i remember this year when like South by Southwest got canceled, and I remember thinking, oh, man, that's just going to, everything's going to fall like dominoes after that, because that's the big one. 
And just the whole idea of everybody was going, all right, late summer will be okay. And then it was like, late fall will be okay. And then I can't imagine just having to schedule and then scratch and then reschedule and scratch. And so I, I, what I'm telling everybody is just try to stay in today. You know, stay as close as possible. Now, agents can't do that, God knows. Um, but they're making their money's worth this year, man. That is really hard. <laughs> and, I mean, I, everybody feels like they're an octopus trying to juggle is the analogy I'm making, you know? So just come up with a rhythm. And for me, it's simple. You know, like I, I eat relatively well these days. I make sure I get eight hours of sleep. I exercise every day for about 25, 30 minutes. I meditate for eight or 10. Figure out what your rhythm is. Get outside, walk around the block. Um, you know, now that it's cold, like I, I set myself up for, you know, I bought a table saw and give myself some hobbies to do inside because it's depressing when it's cold out. You know, it was bad enough, but now we can't even go for walks and, you know, you can't go for a drive. So, like, figure out what works for you. Find six or eight things a day that you can check in with yourself and just stick to it. Find your rhythm and stay in today as much as possible. That's very, very good advice for, for all musicians or anyone that can't do what they're supposed to be doing because of this pandemic. It's really, really smart. Just idle hands, right? <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, <laughs> take a minute off, too. You know, I definitely... Um, but by, you know, and especially with, you know, I don't, I don't want to get political at all, but with the climate in America, we are really, everybody's just angry and anxious and scared. Um, and, and understandably so, you know, it's not like anybody's out of line doing that. I mean, people aren't blowing this out of proportion, but by Friday night, I'm ready for a day off. You know, I used to schedule clients on weekends and this year I've been like, eh, you know what? I really need to start making time for myself. It's important because everybody's just so strung out. Yeah. I feel Absolutely. like we're all running marathons when we're just sitting on the couch. That's good. That's good that you do that. I was expecting you to, to be always on call because of the nature of your business. Well, I am. Are there artists that you just, you have to take their call? Well, yeah. I mean, in this year, especially if somebody calls me Saturday, I will absolutely pick up, but I'll say to them, look, I'm going to give you 10 minutes, but I'm not going to give you an hour. You know, whereas I used to just stay up till two in the morning and now I'm like, I t and then we'll just, you know, we'll pick it up. If it's a crisis, we're absolutely on. Most of them aren't actually crises. Most of them just need to hear a voice on the phone going, we're okay. Like when, you know, a couple thousand people attacked, um, you know, Congress, I was getting calls from people that I haven't heard from in literally years, you know, like profound musicians that are pretty big that should be calling me, but aren't because they're using, <laughs> and you know, 10 o'clock at night on Wednesday, I'm like, uh, are we going to be okay? I hope. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm watching the news like you are, no, dude, I, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, this is a year for the books. Uh, you can't do this all alone. Do you have a team, or is it really just all you? Uh, I'm 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 in private practice by myself, but I have um, a therapist that I've known for years and years and years. We used to work together, and a mental health professional. And the three of us, every six months or so, we go get coffee, or we do it over Zoom these days, and we just vent about who's got the crazier clients. <laughs> you know, any therapist, you know, or counselor or coach or whatever needs to have people they can vent to. So, yeah, I mean, I've got support, too. Yeah, especially because, you know, the confidentiality of your clients is so important. So, so you, you can't share any of these real problems with anyone. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, and everything's encrypted. And uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting because it's like, you know, when when you're a kid, you're like, I, I want to hang out with Rockstar someday. Now that I do all the time, I'm like, yeah, I can't even tell anybody. Like, oh, man, got <laughs> the fuzzy end of that lollipop. <laughs> Uh, it's can't even bring people to shows like everybody wants to go to concerts sorry dude can't do it i don't know <laughs> can't confirm or deny yeah, totally. 
what would be the best part of COVID? I like to always end with a little positive thing. What is the best thing that came out of this pandemic for you? Hmm, that's a good question. As, aside from the, the, the free sparkling water. Right, free sparkling water. A couple pounds of Atlantic <laughs> salmon was nice. Um, well, you know, the reality that under any and all circumstances, um, and this has been as you know stressful and anxiety-provoking year as possible, I have seen dozens of people get sober. Excellent. You know, because what I'm talking about this year, what I'm, the line I'm using for everybody is it's breakdown or breakthrough year. I mean, everybody is, all the distractions we normally have that keep us from actually looking at our issues, all of that's been taken away. And you are sitting at home with your brain and, you know, possibly not your drug of choice. So one of two things is going to happen. You're going to lose your mind or you're going to pick up the phone and call me. And a lot of people have picked up the phone and called me and said, I need to do something. And it's like, that's fantastic. So, yeah, in the big picture of this year, a lot of people have started making changes. That's amazing. It is. Yeah. And that is a good thing. I like that. And, you know, sometimes you need it for it to be that bad before you realize, I got to do something. Because the whole idea, and I was talking to one of my musicians about this, he's clean three years and I'm clean a while. The idea of copping dope in a global pandemic, like, oh my (laughs) effing God, dude, waiting on a street corner for a guy like with a mask on (laughs) nightmare. Uh, What would be some advice for, for people that, you know, are on the fence. They think that they have a problem, but they're not ready to take that leap yet. No, that's a great question. And the thing is, you know, I'll, I'll delineate it this way. If you think you might have a problem, people that don't have a drinking problem or don't have a drug problem. They don't spend any time thinking about it. Like my mother, who her entire life on a Friday night says, I could really use a scotch, has a scotch, has not spent any time at all wondering whether or not she's an alcoholic. So if you're even sitting on the fence, err on the side of caution, you know, pick up the phone, call somebody you trust, call me, find my website, you know. Um, uh, there are support groups everywhere in every city, you know, at the very beginning of the phone book, there's a program that has A's in it that you can find that... Um, you know, it's free and it's everywhere and they're more than happy to help. It's worth checking out a couple of meetings. You know, everything's on Zoom these days, so you don't even have to leave your house. Another positive thing. of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if somebody's thinking about going to a meeting, um, the name of your town, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Zoom meetings, and you will it'll instantly pop up a list. Amazing. Dave, thank you so, so much taking the time, having a chat with me, talking about life, music, and uh, your amazing, amazing The Road to Rehab I really, really think it's amazing what you're doing and uh, very special and very important. And if anybody does need help, please go get it. Yeah, by all means. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. What a cool dude. What, what a genuine amazing human. I love what Dave has built. I think it's truly unique. It is absolutely something that is needed because, you know, being a touring musician is difficult. You live in this strange reality where life is not normal and every day can be a difficult day if you're suffering. So I'm so stoked that Dave created the Road to Rehab to help out any professional musicians out there If you need help, Dave is there to help you. There's also a whole bunch of other people out there. That is one of the main things which I discovered by doing this Vox and Hop Sober February is that if you need the help, when you're ready for help, the help is there and is waiting for you. So do not be afraid to seek out the help. Uh, The road to rehab is one option. It's a very cool option. If you need someone to come out on tour with you, for example, it's, it's the perfect option. But if you're not there yet... 
there is help in every city. Just Google it and you will find it. The help is there and they will be waiting to help you. Do not be afraid to ask for help. There is no shame in needing help. It is the first step of your new life. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, I would strongly encourage you to subscribe to it if you have not already on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm asking you to rate it and write a review because when you do that, more metalheads just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops podcast. Also, you can sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast newsletter. You can do that by going to my website, voxandhops.com. That is V-O-X-A-N-D hlps.com and when you do that you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast throughout the past week trust me do it join the party sign up to the vox and hops metal podcasts newsletter because i don't want you to miss a single thing the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media i will be back next week with two episodes but until then remember to enjoy life metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello out there! Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>